0: This week we test our nasal capacity for the truth, hang out with Maureen O'Hara and John Wayne, or is that Dean Martin and John Wayne, on the Mexican border, and find out exactly what business Mr. Darcy had with the Isle of Wight. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. My name is Tosin, and you are possibly listening to Sunshine Radio broadcasting to St Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. With me in the studio are Joe, hello there, and Sharon, hello, and joining us from a field trip to another hospital is Sean. Sean, tell us where you are.
1: Absolutely brilliant place. I'm in there now with all the good people. We've got um, I've spoken to a few of the the staff there. We got another, the nice Dr Rachel and Stuart, uh, Dr Rachel and Dr Stewart and they're uh, they're quite young. Their first film was Beauty and the Beast.
0: Oh, so so you've actually been interviewing people there about what films they see and yeah, 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 Um,
1: yeah. Julia, who's, uh, I can't remember what her job is, but she's part of the staff, absolutely brilliant. She says her favourite film is The Sound of Music, which is quite appropriate because it's the 50th anniversary, I think, today. Oh, cool. So, yeah, and um, Marta, who watched Star Wars. So, Joe would be pleased with that
2: one. Yeah, she can watch it uh, again in December.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And Haley, you watched Bambi, it was her first film. So, I'd like to say thank you to them all, actually. They've been absolutely brilliant.
0: Oh, cool. So, good stuff from the guys at Bournemouth Hospital. What's the hospital in Bournemouth called?
1: Um, It's the. I'm going to find out. What's, what's the actual hospital called? Is it? Royal, F- Royal Bournemouth Hospital, it's called.
0: Okay, it's called cool. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks to the people at Royal Bournemouth Hospital. Have they got a film show on their radio? Sean?
2: Sounds like we've lost
0: him. Oh, I think we've lost him. No, yeah, okay. I'm, he's, what, back. he's
3: back. <laughs>
0: oh, I'm back. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you cut out for a second there, but I was asking whether there was a film show on, on Bournemouth Hospital Radio.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, as I say, I'm just, uh, the, the, all the staff here are absolutely fabulous. So this is Ward 25, and, oh, they're coming out now. We've got... Julia's coming
3: out now. His favourite <laughs> film with
1: the sound of the music. Just say hello, Julia. Hello, dear. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I, I think I'd better go out somewhere now and calm
0: down a bit. So I'll try and talk to you guys later, okay? Okay, see we'll try and talk to you soon, later, man. Sean. We'll try
2: and talk okay. to you later. Bye. Okay, boy.
0: See you later. <laughs> Crazy. Miracle.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, modern technology.
0: Yeah, miracle of modern technology. (coughs) All right, today on the show, we will be talking about classic movies as is a want. It's what we tend to do. So we talk about movies that were released pre-1980s. We're going to be going into the hospital, speaking to a couple of people. And before we go any further, I would like to say hello to Arthur Allen, who is on Luckham Ward, and he came in for an operation today. Who, and he very kindly spoke to me, talked to me about his favorite movies and uh, just a view on one of the films that I thought we were talking about today. Anyway, <laughs> 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 so anyway, every week we t- we pick a film that we say is a but- is a butterfied Stone Cold classic. And this week it's, well, it's Joe's turn to pick first. So Joe, would you like to tell us what film you chose?
2: Okie dokie, you're right. Uh, I am not the biggest fan uh, of animated films. I I I like. I don't have anything against them. I just don't see as many of them now as I used to when I was younger. They're not just kids' films. I understand that. But there is one animated film which, for me, is as much of a classic as any other film. Uh, it comes from my favourite era of films, which is the, the very, very beginning of the 1940s. I personally think the 1940s were absolutely superb. This film came out in 1940, and for me, uh, even when I was young, it was still one of those wondrous experiences that just absolutely magical. um, It's Pinocchio.
0: Pinocchio. Well, there's only one song I could think of to play from this. And this is this. Gosh, maybe I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, Pinocchio Joe, what's about what what's it about Pinocchio that transcends and gets out of the animated movie ghetto in your mind?
2: I don't know what it is. It's just for me it it's always the one when people say what's your favorite Disney film, what's the classic it's always Pinocchio for me. It it's a mixture of the innocence of the main character, the journey that he goes on, the the, the unpleasantness that he encounters along the way. The absolutely gorgeous animation, I'm talking absolutely stunning, the detail um, the, just the colours, the vibrancy of some of those scenes are just incredible. Um, uh, for example, Jiminy Cricket uh, himself—twenty-seven different colours in that character. Twenty-seven different colours. T- um, uh, it just—I just—it always drags me along. I'm with Pinocchio on his on his journey uh, out into the real world on his attempt to become a real boy, and just that heartbreaking concept of a, uh, a little boy that doesn't think he's real, doesn't think he fits in in the world, and doesn't have you know a mother doesn't doesn't have any of those things she wants to try and make friends and is easily led and i just i just for some reason it just really is a special story i think
0: all right cool sharon do you have any thoughts on pinocchio
3: no it's one of the few disney films I've, i have actually seen oh uh, i've mentioned before my sort of disney experience in the past has been watching sort of disney time on back holidays through throughout my childhood. And so I didn't actually see many of them all the way through, but Pinocchio was one of the few that I did. And in the, the modern sort of Disney era, I've seen hardly any of them because I, I'm not a huge fan of animation. It takes... Normally I go because someone else wants to go and I don't want to let them down. <laughs> so I end up going to see all sorts of things that I would not normally go at under my own inclination. But I definitely have seen Pinocchio and it is one of those ones that it does draw you in, I think. it is Pinocchio, you do identify with him as that little... Little loner, he feels isolated, he feels different to everyone else. I think that's the human experience. It's ironic, isn't it, that a puppet does typify that human experience where most people at some stage in their lives do feel that they're different to everyone else because we are all different to each other, but we have shared experiences, and it's when he learns through those shared experiences that he discovers his humanity that was there all along. It's just that he couldn't see it and no one else could see it. And so, But he was loved the way, you know... Good parents do love their children in a way that made him see his sort of specialness. So it's a sweet film, and it's one that yeah it does draw you in, and it's great. You know when they turn into donkeys, it's one of those scenes that you think it's amazing that how they managed to do that it's so convincingly that they did this transformation experience.
0: I don't know, convincingly, yeah. you know, talk about freaky. Know yeah.
3: Oh,
2: it's absolutely terrifying. That's the other side of it. It's dark.
0: Yeah, no, the story
2: I... is really, really, really dark.
0: I mean, I think I think when I when I talk, think about things from my childhood that freak me out, Pinocchio and all those boys turning into donkeys has got to be right up there. I think in any version of Pinocchio I've seen, that's always the scene that I do not want to watch when the boys turn into donkeys. I'm like, what's up with that? Who
2: came it's, up with that? It's Why? unnatural. It's unnatural. It's really, really weird.
0: Apparently, now I'm saying it's,
2: it's showing the innocence of this character and it's like a, a journey and a, a fairy tale in a way, but... There are 43 instances of violence and uh, unpleasant behaviour in the film, 23 instances of battery, nine acts of property damage, three slang uses of the word jackass, uh, three acts of violence involving animals, uh, a couple of instances of of nudity, and even an instance of implied death that is a, a list of things you don't associate this with Disney films. Is this a PG
3: films. or 15? No,
2: this is, this is Disney's Pinocchio. <laughs> well,
0: you know, you see now, I actually have a I have a... Because I think about it. Think about Roald Dahl, right? One of the most celebrated children's authors of He's all dark. time. And yes. if you read his books, horrible stuff happens in them. Totally.
2: totally. But he gets away with it because it's written for kids in a way which, which makes kids go, whoa. Early well,
3: Disney I... is quite dark, actually. I don't think modern Disney is... I think there's a bit more... Yeah. sweets and cutesy, but I think early Disney did have those really dark, menacing mm-hmm. moments in them.
0: I personally, I th- I think it's impossible to tell a proper kids' fairy tale without darkness. Mm. Because- when you read
3: them, they are. Yeah, quite creepy and quite dark. The, well, the original Grimm's fairy tales, especially you
2: know, the caution, cautionary aspect in Pinocchio. is you know, Don't go if there's a couple of strangers in the street saying they're going to make you famous. Don't walk with them. If there's a, a you know, don't get stuck in, in, on an island where your parents aren't there. Don't don't be separated from people that you know. Yeah, it's throughout the film.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, and I mean, and yeah. how how do you show that to somebody without showing the bad stuff, without showing the dark stuff? Like well, yeah. you I, can't, can you? Yeah, and so I I don't understand this whole idea that for kids stories have to be all nice and happy because I'm like no they're not okay they're not kids stories should be there needs to be something that to show the kids that they shouldn't be going off there and doing xyz mm-hmm. like for instance as has anybody seen Coraline yeah Coraline was it's probably the scariest film I've seen mm, in the last
2: decade yeah, it takes it to extremes isn't it? yeah
0: it's a pro it's probably the scariest one seen in the last decade and it's a kid's film and I remember the the whole idea when the film came out is like all the parents were going to watch it with the kids I'm going oh my god I can't believe it. we should be watching this and the kids were walking around going yeah that's yeah. great yeah yeah I, like <laughs> I
3: didn't see it because I saw the trailer and it freaked me out I was it, just like I'm not watching that it
0: it, it it is a freaky film I mean I remember I saw it on a sat on a Sunday morning it was just me and a friend of mine Alex and we went to see this film on a Sunday morning and we were the only two in the cinema apart from a guy and his kid. And we were just so sad, and they're watching it go, and we're looking at each other, going, "This is a kids' movie.
4: Mm. <laughs> we're
2: like, what the
0: heck?" Yeah,
2: yeah. But they stay with you. They, they have an influence on the kids. They remember things. It sticks. The message is put across, and yeah, and you remember them all these years later.
0: Yeah, yeah. because even preparing for this show and going, you know, the bit the the song we played of "I've Got No Strings." Mm. First of all, that came to my uh, mind because the influence of Pinocchio is shown, like even. The, well, the, the, what, Avengers? What, yeah, the Avengers? Yeah, The Avengers. The new what trailer, is, yeah. What is going to be one of the biggest films of this year, The Avengers? And they have the trailer and the trailer has like probably the freakiest version of i've got no strings in it mm. where you have the bad guy ultron who is created and he's like a puppet Well, he's not a puppet he's a robot but he has like they draw this sort of pinocchio analogy with it and he it is the whole i've got no strings well the idea is that he's
2: becoming sentient he's be, he doesn't where need to be controlled anymore free.
0: yeah
3: yeah it does it's got that menace to he it wants he wants to be a
0: real boy yeah and so <laughs> so when, when i when i saw pinocchio uh, the first thing that came to my mind was the Avengers Age of Ultron trailer. And I was like, yeah, we've got to play that song.
2: Well, the thing that made me sort of, obviously I've always liked it, but the thing that really made me go back and, and revisit Pinocchio and truly appreciate it was back in 2001 when AI, Spielberg's AI came out. Yes. And that and Pinocchio is a, a key plot point, really. It's all about this, this robot character that wants to be a real human being gets the inspiration from the story of Pinocchio and goes off on his own journey, Mm -hmm. looking for the blue fairy. And and that just, it seemed to work very well in that story, I thought. I know a lot of people um, didn't like the film for various reasons. I did, and it really connected. And that, that search for a blue fairy that can make you real and that can make you fit in, I just found it very... Uh, poignant.
0: It's a great film until the last 30 minutes. Disagree. It's a great film. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great film until the last 30 minutes they ruin the film. Disagree. Uh, that whole thing with uh, one more day and blah blah blah. Oh, I find it heartbreaking. It, oh. One more
2: day with your mother. I mean it's it's too heartbreaking. And aliens and stuff. There um, weren't
0: aliens they were creatures from the future. Whatever. <laughs> they f- they messed the film up. No. <laughs> they Do me- I have to
3: separate you two? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just hope that it.
0: Really I mean, the, I mean, up until the bit where he's at the bottom of the lake looking at the blue fairy, saying "Make me a real boy," I was like, "Oh my word, this is amazing!" Yeah. Then the film carried on. Mm, I just got <laughs> better and better. Uh, the
2: the character of the blue fairy, though, I mean, in the in, in Pinocchio, she was uh, they used a technique, an animation technique called rotoscoping. They mm. actually, they, they were I think they did it with the prince in Snow White as well. They've done it a few times. But, they did uh, it
0: with Gulliver and Gulliver's Travels.
2: Yeah. But in in that the fact that she was, I mean, she was real. She wasn't real, but she was embodying this a way of him becoming real. And she was rotoscope, which actually means they filmed it and then they animated over the film. They almost traced it around to make to give it this this human m- movements to make it more realistic in a way.
0: The beginnings of nowadays motion capture.
2: Mm, yes, pretty much. Yeah. Instead of drawing around it, you, you keyframe around it on your computer. Mm. Um, but also the colour of the light when she appears. She appears a couple of times through the film and the way that's animated as well, that it's my favourite piece of animation ever is the, the way the blue fairy appears the few times that she does. There's just this incredible flash of light and, and the, the animation just takes over and you're like, wow, and you can't see anything. and
0: ah, It's great, it's beautiful. Okay, two questions. There's one thing I've never really been clear on. How does Jiminy Cricket become his conscience? I think he just is. He just he is. just accepts the job. He just well is he is it given the job at the blue Fairy or something? Uh yes he
2: is at the start he's sort of appointed with the job. Uh, interestingly in the in the novel in the original uh, 1883 novel Jimmy cricket's killed. <laughs> he's not called Jiminy cricket he's called talking uh just talking cricket. Talking uh, cricket. Pinocchio kills him by throwing a mallet at him. <laughs> <laughs> Which Disney decided oh. not to
3: My illusions
2: have been
0: shattered. I know. <laughs>
2: I know. So it does get darker than the Disney version, obviously. No,
0: but but oh, that is actually so cool. That that's actually he kills his conscience. Yeah, I know. That's so biblical. There's like <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. It's like he sears his con. Well, there's a there's a verse of the Bible that says you sear your conscience with a hot iron, mm. but he just kills it with a mallet. Yeah, throws a
2: mallet. At <laughs> we don't really want kids doing that to their consciences, so I imagine that's why they left
0: it. Out that's why there. they j- no, because they wanted my money. But, yeah, but well, talking
2: uh, of money, it was also one of the most expensive films produced at the time.
0: Yeah, I can fucking imagine. Well Disney was mad with that. It was
2: about two, two nearly three million dollars at the time, I think it cost
3: on oh, an animated film. That's extraordinary, isn't Absolutely, it?
0: Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And oh and one other and one other thing I was gonna say is has anybody seen the film Chappie yet? I'm seeing it tonight. It is as you've been speaking, it just you just made me realise, oh my god, it's Pinocchio.
2: Is it more Pinocchio or more Johnny Five is alive?
0: Uh, it's kind of like a mix between the two. Okay. So because I think Johnny Five is alive. So in Short Circuit, mm. it's kind of like this freak accident that comes up. However, in 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 Chappie, it's kind of like Pinocchio in that he's created. Right. He's created to be what he is, and it's and the whole idea of when he goes through stuff and he falls in with a bad crowd and people are being mean. To, I was like, oh my god, it mm. is Pinocchio he's being whisked <laughs> off to Robot Island. Yeah, it's it's Pinocchio. And uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll talk to you. Right? I'll talk to you after you see it. Yeah, because uh, because AI also came to my mind when I was watching the film. Oh,
2: good. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> now. Brilliant. <laughs>
0: okay, cool. And um, so yeah, Pinocchio. I think we could all agree with that because I mean, even just the bit of uh, it's funny how the I think Disney's version has become the definitive version of Pinocchio, and even like the the with the animation. Once I saw the the video of that song, I got no strings. I was just kind of like. Mm-hmm. and it got a bit cheesy in my head but I did think oh they don't make them like they used to <laughs> but anyway <laughs> moving on moving on every week <coughs> Joe helps us out with this thing and he comes up with a movie legend comes up with a movie legend and he has a cl- quiz that has a couple of questions in it uh, feel free to play along wherever you are listening to this and try to figure out whether you can figure out who this person is before the end of the show but now Joe Will you please give us your first clue?
2: Okie dokie. I've used half of this clue before, but uh, I've added an extra bit onto it because it also applies to this particular screen legend. This particular screen legend is one of the many movie stars mentioned in Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire, and Madonna's song, Vogue. Ooh! So you should be able to run through them and see if there's any that appear in both.
0: Okay, we'll play them both in a second and figure. it <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Good stuff, Sharon. Any idea? None at all. The first thing that comes to my head is Joe DiMaggio, but he was not a film. He was not a screen no. legend. No. He Obviously was married like Betty, to one though.
3: You know, Betty Davis. That's the only one that's coming to my head. Mm. But then I don't know. Either. I don't know Vogue very well. It's not. I'm not a Mad fan, so. I don't know that at all.
0: <laughs> when did it become okay to call her Madge? It must have been when she moved over to England. When
3: she was living in England, yeah, we <laughs> called call her Madge. Yeah. She oh, hated it, that's why I do it.
0: I think it would be a bit of a slip-up now, wouldn't it? Oh, sorry, I went there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Joe. <laughs> it's
3: only a slip-up if you've got a cape rang in it. Yeah,
0: what a silly idea. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, I thought that one up.
0: Yeah. All right. so I was in the hospital earlier today. Every Friday, I go into the hospital and I speak to patients and I just ask them, what was their favourite movie that they've ever seen in the cinema? Or tell us the story of the first film you ever saw in the cinema. We've come up with some great stories. And today, I met up with... Arthur, who I, spoke, who I spoke to earlier Arthur might be listening to us right now I mean, Arthur, if you are, hope you're enjoying the show But he might also be having an operation And if that is, our prayers are with you Hoping everything is going well And um, yeah, I spoke to Arthur And Arthur told me about his favourite film of all time He also called himself a, He was a self-confessed film buff But this was his favourite movie of all time
4: Mad Max Mad Max Yeah, Mad Max was his favourite film All the series, yeah and they brought, some, they brought a new one out as well, which I'm going to see that as well, when it comes out. It was just the way he was. It was good. The way he acted, that's all. Just easy going. Yeah. Good films.
0: I prefer when he was chasing people down with a car and crashing them Oh,
4: up. yeah. Uh, He's so sort of laid back, but that's what I liked about it. Yeah.
0: So that was like a Mel Gibson classic?
4: Yeah, Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. He is good and uh, die-hard films he played in them he was good in them as well yeah and sci-fi stuff Star Trek Voyager all that type of stuff SG-1 that's
0: it. Stargate Stargate. Stargate
4: yeah. Yeah. yeah I like all that yeah. yeah Superman films Batman X-files on and on and on you don't know what's next it's all different, isn't it? What's out there beyond, sort of thing. So I can think at the moment. Yeah. Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds, yeah. It was the first sci-fi thing I seen. You With know, the puppets in that when I was a kid? Yeah, that was good. I'll be coming up to sixty soon, so. well, I must have been about ten or eleven then. Yeah, going back a long time. Yeah, Fifty years ago. 40, 40, 48 years ago, yeah.
0: Now, I'm sure you'll understand me when I say this, Joe, but I c- couldn't shake the feeling that I was speaking to a 60-year-old version of you when I was speaking to this guy. Wow. <laughs> was he devilishly handsome? Devilishly handsome, yeah. devilishly handsome. Yeah. Totally um, very, very well-spoken and very well-read as well. I mean, well. quite erudite. Wow, Stop, stop, <laughs> stop. Tick, tick, tick. Stop, 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 but yes... <laughs> On all accounts, yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and also with that, I mean, he mentioned he mentioned Mad Max and spoke about Mel Gibson's acting in that. Yeah. And um, yeah, he did mention the Die Hard movies. I think he meant the lethal weapon movies. I think you're right. Yeah, but um, but. Um, sorry, uh, sorry, Arthur, if you're listening, I didn't have the heart to say anything right there and then. I just thought I'm just gonna shut up and let this man talk because he's cool. <laughs> and People do the same to me. So, yeah, good.
3: <laughs> Coolness gets you a long way. <laughs>
0: so, so, what do you guys reckon, Mad Max? What do you, What are your thoughts of Mad Max?
3: Great films. Yeah, I've seen them all. I'm looking forward to the new one. I can't think what it's called now. It's gone out of my head. Something Fury, Fury? Road.
0: Fury, Fury Road. Road. Fury
2: Road. Is it Fury? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: Tom Hardy. So yeah. I think that would be, be a good fix. That's and that's I think good. they're good. Again, I start seeing science fiction from a different perspective, having it from, like I said, in Australia, mm-hmm. from a different culture, obviously being like this big island that isolation is feeling, expanding that so that it's not just a nation that's isolated, it's the individual that's isolated in this big wasteland, um, this pursuit, the violence, the... The peril in every scene, yeah, it sort of that's down my street. Yeah. <laughs> right up
2: until Tina Turner, <laughs> well, yeah, well, it... to, yeah. That what happened there?
3: <laughs> Ooh. They'd gone from being like this apocalyptic, you know, nightmare scenario to it being, you know, almost nice. Yeah. So I think when they start doing that, you think, yeah, something's gone wrong there.
2: Well, the irony yeah. is, the song that went with that was "We Don't Need Another Hero." Okay, so speaking... Take own
0: advice. speaking of which, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Good thing. Thank you. I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> well, i just going to sit down and enjoy this. And as you listen to the soothing of the Tina Turner, just think of a desolate wasteland with people being chased. the classic song We Don't Need Even A Hero by Tina Turner from the best Mad Max movie ever. <laughs> what, you don't agree? Um,
2: <laughs> very much in the same way that George Clooney uh,
0: appeared in the show once. <laughs> he was the best Batman. <laughs> George Clooney is Batman. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so, all right. Okay. So when what I, what I think of Mad Max, what I remember is that the first film is actually really short. It's like just over an hour or something like that you guys remember that or? It doesn't
2: ever strike me as being particularly short. Uh, it might be, actually.
3: Yeah, no, I hadn't noticed that, no. to be honest with
0: you. Yeah, because no, I remember that with this. It seemed as if, it was almost as if the first one was made as some sort of little experimental film. And then George Miller, the director, hit his stride with the second one. And then he really sort of started stretching his legs and being allowed to do stuff that he maybe didn't have the budget to do with the mm. first one. Yeah. A bit like X Men and X Men 2.
2: You're right, actually, it is It is quite short. Even the special edition was only 93 minutes. The original was 88 minutes. So, yeah, I never really thought of it as being particularly short.
3: Yeah. I Interesting. hadn't noticed that.
0: No. I Sometimes that.
3: It, didn't help, it goes to show that you don't need to make a film four hours long no. to make it a good <laughs> film, Not have impact. Because it. it certainly had impact. I remember when it came out that, yeah, it had impact, that this was unlike anything we'd seen before in yeah. science fiction. I think we got used to the space operas, and this was like the opposite of like that whole space opera going into in. space science fiction. This was you know a different type of science fiction yeah, this was
2: two years yeah. after Star Wars,
0: yeah so it was like what, very grounded on earth and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. nothing uh, and it's i guess it's it does it it's not particularly hope well, it's not a particularly hopeful series
3: <laughs> no, it's quite bleak, but I think what's quite good is that you don't actually see what caused all this. Well, unless I'm, my mind has gone fuzzy over time. Mm-hmm. You don't actually witness the apocalypse, you just see the aftermath of it, the, the fact that there's, the, the planet is suddenly depopulated and mm. he's in the middle of the outback fighting for survival with every other one who's sort of fighting for survival. So I think a lot of the other films, they've concentrated too much on the horrible things or the peril. This is, you know, that struggle of surviving and your threat isn't going to be from without, as in aliens or... It's like never mind never mind the peril. It's your other survivors who they're the ones you have to be wary of. Like Walking Dead, I have to say, is turning mm. into that way. It's not the threat mm. isn't so much from the zombies, the threat is from other survivors.
0: Interesting. Mm. Well, we'll see what happens with the next one when it comes when it gets released. But Mad Max. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you very much for picking that for us. I think it's uh well well, I think I actually agree. I think it's a I think it's a great series. I've never seen Thunderdome, though. All I know is about Tina Turner, her hair, and that song. But I think I should actually... I will... I will... What's the word? I will fix that at some point. Let me
2: me just read you these three lines.
0: Yeah.
1: A
2: former Australian policeman is rescued by a tribe of children when he is banished from a desert town and sent into the desert to die by the desert town's evil queen. There you have Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. You don't need to waste your time.
0: (laughs) Okay. Sounds very Lion Witch in the wardrobe, but with sand. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, Joe, (laughs) help us out with the second clue. Okay. This screen legend.
2: Uh, The first ever professional acting gig for this screen legend was in a commercial for a uh, well-known fizzy drinks brand, handing out bottles of said uh, substance to teenagers who were riding a merry-go-round. Now, I've, I've included this as a clue because when I read it, I can see it. I've seen it. It's quite a famous advert with this particular screen legend. So the very fact that I'm mentioning it should it should uh, start appearing in people's minds. Hmm. Interesting. First professional acting gig, handing out bottles of Coca-Cola on a merry-go-round.
3: Okay, I'm about 40 years out then, I think, as a person I was thinking of.
2: <coughs> hmm. Although Coca-Cola is old, because didn't Father Christmas base himself off it? <laughs> That's all I heard.
0: coca is ancient. I mean, yeah, but hmm. Okay, we shall continue going on. This is this this might be a this might be a three or fourth clue time thing that. Well, I have
2: five prepared just in case. Oh, ah, okay, mm. cool, cool,
0: good stuff. <laughs> Right, and now we go on to Sharon's choice of film. Now, Sharon, can you tell us what film it is that you've chosen today?
3: Yes, I've chosen one of John Ford's Cavalry trilogy. I've chosen what I think is the best of the, the three. Um, Rio Grande, starring John Wayne and Maureen, o, Maureen O'Hara. I almost said Maureen O'Sullivan then, but that's a completely different actress. <laughs> Maureen O'Hara. O'Hara. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yep, yeah, just as, as a... 1950. Yeah, Sharon said we're going to be talking about Rio Bravo with <laughs> <laughs> with Dean Martin and John yeah, Wayne, yeah. directed by Howard Hawks and John Ford. <laughs> and <Sharon> <laughs> Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately, um, I got my wires crossed, and when I heard Rio something John Wayne, I immediately thought it was Rio Bravo we're talking about today. And so while I was in the hospital earlier, I asked Arthur about Rio Bravo, and I promised him i will play it. So here we go. <laughs> Rio
4: Bravo, I watched the the. i sure watched it Cowboy Mm -hmm. yeah I watched that the other day actually yeah it's an old one
0: yeah Cowboys John Wayne I
4: I I wasn't never into them much good the bad the ugly and stuff like that yeah Clint Eastwood but not the other ones I was never a Cowboy fan so I was science fiction I was will be yeah
0: Okay, so um here yeah, we we'll got that out of the way.
3: Well I'm quite glad it wasn't his favourite film then because <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about that one.
0: <laughs> it's like, Rio Bravo, yeah Oh sorry. Different
3: film. <laughs> yeah Rio Grande, this is one of the the black and white, yeah, cavalry uh, they're called the Cavalry trilogy. They're they're not the same characters in any of them, but you've got John Wayne is in all three and they're all directed by John Ford and they have all that sort of monument valley type feel about them. Okay. But this one in particular, Rio Grande, is about, at the heart of it, is a relationship. It's set years after the American Civil War, where John Wayne's character, he's a lieutenant colonel in the cavalry regiment, US cavalry. He's uh, uh, working on the Mexican border, the, the Tex Mex border, with the Rio Grande being the, the border between the United States and Mexico. And he's trying to stop Apaches, basically, from raiding both sides of the border. And he has this particular band of Apaches that keep raiding homesteads and farms and forts on the U.S. side and then escaping into Mexico. And the, the, his dilemma is whether to pursue them across a national boundary, across the river, to bring them to justice for you know the, the crimes that they have committed. Or whether he has to respect those national boundaries and not effectively invade another country in order to to follow out his orders. So that's his dilemma. But Infamix the mix is brought in his son, who he's been estranged from, and his wife, they just turn up. And the story there is basically, during the Civil War, John Wayne's character was married to Maureen O'Hara and she owned a southern plantation. It was her family's estate. And when he marched south with the Union Army, he was, they were ordered to destroy certain plantations along the way. And one of her her family plantation was told they had to put it to the torch and he followed orders and he torched their home and so she left with their infant son at the time and they she never saw them again and now 15 years later his son who dropped out of west point enlisted as a private soldier and has turned up on his fort and he's then pursued by his mother saying like no i'm not having my young son join up as a private in the sr cavalry Look at the horrible man your father is. I'm not having that for my son. So she turns up to, to bring her son home. He refuses to leave. And so you, at the, the heart of the story is this, this relationship that's been fractured by war and by people obeying orders. And then suddenly they're brought together again by circumstance. But it means that they actually have a conversation for the first time in 15 years. So you've got this relationship in the heart of this big, bigger Western epic story.
0: This sounds sounds very sort of like family melodramary.
3: It's very melodramary. Yeah, you've got this <laughs> <laughs> It's
2: very melodramary. I like you've that. Got this, yeah,
3: you've got this high emotion running through it. With all these John Ford films, you've got humour, you've got the the humorous characters like Victor McLaughlin plays, the weathered sergeant who who's been around the block and he's sort of got quite comedic. Then you've got the pals that join up with his young son who add sort of character and flavour to the story. So there's a lot going on. So there's high emotion, there's comedy, there's drama. So everything you expect from a from a John Ford Western and from a 50s melodrama.
2: Yeah. Were you aware that he was sort of forced into making this
0: film? Did you know that? Which one, John Ford or John Wayne? John Ford.
3: He'd, was uh, he under contract?
2: Well, he wanted to make The Quiet Man with John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. Um, and in order to do that, the studio uh, thought that The Quiet Man would probably lose money. So in order to, to allow him to make it, they sort of pressured him into making this one two years earlier. So if the, the the one he preferred to make, The Quiet Man, did lose any money, then the thinking was that they would have made enough from a western, a John Ford, John Wayne western, that it wouldn't matter.
3: Yeah, because they were great. Some of the studios, you think... They were very cautious in many ways, weren't they? They wanted to make money, that's their business. So they went for surefire bets, so that's when you find. I think they still do it the same today. When you get one successful Western, you then get several other Westerns that yeah. get made, but then it's a real fight to get that first one made. Yeah. Like when science fiction goes out of favor, as Arthur was, you know, he's a fan of our science fiction, when it goes out of favour then it's a real struggle to get a good one made yeah. and then suddenly mm. you're flooded with them
0: it's, it's a bit like swashbucklers yeah
3: yeah we haven't had one of those for a while have we
0: well I, I hear that people
2: are finding it really difficult to make superhero films these days <laughs> <laughs> um, no one wants to take the risk <laughs>
0: well I think I think it's more like no, no, nobody no, nobody or anybody who isn't Marvel yes. is finding their <laughs> 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 Yeah. because they're like they seem to be able to do it let's make a Spider-Man movie no we messed it up <laughs> Give it to Marvel. Just give give it to Marvel. They know what they're doing. They'll sort it out.
3: (laughs) But we mentioned The Quiet Man, but it is the start of a a sort of screen marriage between John Wayne and Maura O'Hara. Five movies, was
2: it,
3: Yeah, and they're all crackers. I think she's personally, I think she's one of the most stunning actresses around in that day. Her looks were just, she's got this, you know, wonderful hair, wonderful eyes. She's shapely and womanly and feisty. I think she's just absolutely stunning. Was she a redhead? Redhead, yeah, she was famously a redhead. Oh, she sounds like a redhead. Yeah, she's, but she, and she always sort of matched well with John Wayne when they sort of went films together for the sort of next 30 years or something. know
2: O'Hara. But Irish. Yeah. Did you know?
3: But yeah, I think Quiet Man they did. She sounds. You she's not Welsh?
0: Um,
3: yeah, they did Quiet Man. They did Big Jake when they were much older. They did McClintock. Ooh. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other ones they've like done. The is McClintock
0: too. actually a Western?
3: yes though it's set later on it's like an early 20th century western so is Big Jake that's an early 20th century western alright so the rest of the world is civilised but they're still shooting them up out west
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so Rio Grande isn't uh, isn't like a John Wayne actioner
3: he's certainly the lead but he is more controlled he's not one of these like he's not a rebel in this he's a uh, Lieutenant Colonel in the U.S. Cavalry, so he's a man of responsibility. He's a man who gives orders. He's he's quite tough <coughs> in this, and he's quite hard. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have that twinkle that you see in his other roles. Yeah, but he is obviously he's fat. He's been moved by duty to do things he hasn't wanted to do, as in torch his wife's plantation, and again like crossing the border, but things drive him to do other duty or that sense of responsibility has for the office he holds Mm. so yeah it's not he's he's a tough role that's why why i like it i think he's not you know
0: he's not just he's not just playing john John
3: wayne Wayne. he's yeah he's being a bit more of a sort of hardened character than you normally see him
0: yeah because john wayne movies i tend to split them into two especially the westerns that there's the one where he's playing john wayne and then there's the ones there's the ones where he's actually acting
3: yeah, I think he acts in this one. Yeah, <laughs> it,
0: it sounds like it. It sounds He's, like
2: it. he seemed to have taken it fairly seriously. He later said it was a parable for the Korean War.
0: What okay. Rio Grande? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, not knowing that much about the Korean War, I really can't say that. I can't, I really can't say. Like anything. crossing
3: borders and breaking, breaching those international laws. Ah, mm.
0: yeah, it's, it's a bit like a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Ozana's raid, and in, they were saying Vietnam, that, that was yeah. a that was a parable for the Vietnam War.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's a way of
0: dealing with the subject without
2: dealing with the subject.
0: Yeah, it's it's because I know they do that in sci-fi as well.
3: But often you find as well, they make John Wayne often made these films that showed the, the US cavalry or the US armed forces in a favorable light when potentially the real armed forces were undergoing some criticism. Yeah. So I think he was definitely a, like a defender of that that sort of military tradition. Yeah. So I think in some ways it does fit in with that his sort of pattern. When he was like, doing the Vietnam War, he made often like these pro-American, pro-U.S. all oh, like Army the Green Berets, Green Berets, and all those sort of things. And the Alamo, in some ways, was again in that time where.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. the good
3: guys and the clearly the good guys are clearly us, and the bad guys are clearly anybody else.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're standing in our way. You're a bad guy.
3: But political side, I I enjoy this one. I think it's because it's that relationship again with. John Wayne and I think it's one of the it's a, uh, that early screen pairing, but you can see the chemistry there, and yeah, it just works for me as a film.
0: You know, the funny thing is, Sharon. You know, whenever you give one of your film essays, I think uh. I'll call them, it makes you think I really should watch more films. <laughs> <laughs> All these films that Sharon Sharon talks about or that she hasn't have, maybe I should just come and live in your house. Come and borrow co- my
3: <laughs> DVD collection. I think because in some ways we look at films in different ways. I often think of films and how they make me feel mm-hmm. rather than what I think about them so sometimes it's a good exercise to think about why I like something other than just I responded to it emotionally but this one yeah, I liked it for that yeah that strong that John Wayne acting yeah that relationship and Maureen O'Hara being just beautiful and yeah. the scenery looking stunning and quite alien to me because I'm obviously Southern English by birth <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this sort you of alien mean there's landscape. no way
0: in the south of England that looks like Monument Valley <laughs>
3: I don't know parts of Sandown,
0: perhaps. I was, yeah, I was good. Like, <laughs> <lake. laughs> I was gonna, Well, I guess, I guess, like, you could find some quarry in Wales. Oh, quarry Abbey! I've got to go down there. I've got to see what it looks like.
2: It's very nice. Yeah, very <laughs> nice. <laughs> it is very nice. Very peaceful in the summer. It's lovely.
0: All right. Have cool. Peaks. Cool. Well, thanks, thanks a lot for that, Rio Grande, and now Joe. Moving swiftly on mm. as time is running out. Yeah. Okie
2: dokie. This record, okay, will probably never. Uh, bettered. Uh, this Screen Legend was Oscar nominated for two-thirds of their films. A record, like I say, which will never be bettered. It's very
3: unlikely
0: that anyone will ever break that. Okay, cool. I got it.
2: So for two-thirds of this particular Screen Legend's movies, they were nominated for an Oscar.
0: I got it. I, th- I-
3: think I've got someone.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it is uh, When you said the whole Coca-Cola thing, I was like, I can. Im- the thing is, I could see in my mind this guy handing out Coca Cola to people on a merry-go-round. I was like, I'm not sure whether I'm just imagining that or whether that was actually something I've seen before, but it fits. Who
2: said it was a guy?
0: I say it's a guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's a guy. <laughs> All right, because I know who this is. <laughs>
2: Confidence there. Looking. I know
0: who this is, like- and if I'm wrong, I shall.
2: Cry. If you get it wrong, we automatically award the point to Sean.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I get a second. I get a second. I get a second. We might have. Hello, this is that Sean?
4: SMS text delivery system from BT. No, it's BT. What? <laughs>
0: from, oh. Never mind. So like, <laughs> that has never happened before. Like, <coughs> all right. Um. Uh, right. Okay. Cool. So let us carry on till the in that, inevitable bit where i tell you exactly who this person is because i know who it is going on with uh, something that we've been doing for the last couple of weeks it's a it's a feature called i love movies yay, yay i love movies i think we need to come up with a jingle for that but is, is that a pun i love movies no, no 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 pun what are you talking about i'm just saying i love movies of course yeah, yeah yeah i love movies i mean what, what's up with that <laughs> and um Right, so this is a feature in which we go to Hollywood or stuff and we find any tenuous links, some more tenuous than others, some actually really, really interesting about when Hollywood hits the shores of our fair island, hits the shores of our diamond isle. So Sharon, what have you got for us today?
3: Yeah, this is a bit more of a twisty turny route to the island than our usual link. So it wasn't actually nothing filmed on the island this time, but the, my inspiration is from the author Jane Austen this time, because we have in the in our histories of local vis- visitors who come to this place, and the the tourist industry has been popular for as a, well. The island's been a popular tourist destination, I should say, for three hundred years or more since, you know, people started to look away from their own villages and thought, I'm going to go and have a look there. So the Isle of Wight has been a place that's been oft-visited, and Jane Austen is recorded as having been visiting the island in June 1813.
0: 1813?
3: And it does get a mention in the, the book Mansfield Park, where it talks about one of the characters who, oft, who loves the Isle of Wight, and she refers to it as the island, as if there were no other. <laughs> Which we often do, that we call it the island, because for us it is the only one. But because there hasn't been a version of Mansfield Park made for the big screen, I've gone back through the, the canon of Jane Austen films that have gone to the cinema, and I've chosen the 1940 version of Pride and Prejudice, which is starring Laurence Olivier as Mr. Darcy.
0: Ah, Mr. Darcy has a link to the island. Yay. So she, she, did she just visit here or did she? was she here for a while? Did she visit here <coughs> once or what was it?
3: It's recorded that she came in June of 1813 for how long? But in those days, people, when they did travel, they tended to come for more than a month. <laughs> I
0: would imagine so because it probably took them more than a month to get here.
3: In the days of, yeah, the days of sailing across on a... I don't know what the packet ship was at the time. And then the coach travel. Because people took two or three days to cross the island in those well, days. I was going
2: to say, if you've been on the ferries recently, it hasn't improved. Anything, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. So, so, she, so she
3: certainly was familiar with Well, she's a Hampshire girl, so she spent most of her life in Hampshire, so apart from a few years when she was in Bath, but most of her life was spent in Hampshire. and she We know that she was familiar with Portsmouth, which is features in Mansfield Park as well. And she's familiar with Southampton. So, yes, yeah, you did obviously oh, cross the Solent. Whether it's more than once, we don't know. But we definitely have a recorders being here in cool. 1813.
0: Good stuff. And um, now, I did not know you were going to pick that film. And so I thought, and you were talking about Jane Austen. Yeah. And I decided to pick some music from a movie called Austenland. Has anybody yes, seen it? seen it.
3: It's fun. Um, no, no, I haven't. No.
0: Okay, cool. So I decided to pick this from Austenland. It is, for my money, the funniest scene in the film and, Actually, the only good thing about it.
2: (laughs) I only really know one song.
0: Play that one, then. Surprising. happened okay so okay it's it's a film it's a film it's not a good film I mean, it's
3: quite funny in places if you love jane austen it's quite it's
0: funny in places i mean that's the thing and that is the funniest moment but it's like the whole film as a whole it just doesn't hold together but it's a it's essentially about a theme park called austin land where people pay loads of money to go to this park it's like westworld Essentially, this exactly. is essentially like Westworld. Exactly. Seriously, it's it like is. Westworld. You 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 pay your money and you go there to. Uh, to Do they break act. down and start hunting people? No, no the, these don't have. There there is no robot. Oh, there there's no, no ro- robot. A robot like
2: a robot Mr. Darcy that comes out. There isn't no a <laughs> robot Mr. Darcy,
0: but you, essentially you pay for a certain package, and so let's say you pay for the. If you pay for the all expenses package, then you get to play the character in Jane Austen's novel. You can either be the maid or you can be like, you know, the rich dowager whatever, blah, blah, blah. And this is a scene where because they because they're not allowed mobile phones for the time they're there. And so for the entertainment, they ask people to come up and play a song on their piano. And so they, and so you have Jane Seymour. I mean, the great Jane Seymour. I don't know how they got that in this film. And they have, they have Jane Seymour and she's like, oh, come play. And so the character played by Kerry Russell, goes up to the piano and it's like well i only know one song and ends up playing this <laughs> Sorry, how is this not a good film you've just described something that sounds brilliant it is brilliant though it is brilliant at uh, this scene it's
3: funny some of the execution lacks but it is a funny film yeah, like, no, if think... you love jane austen if you've seen any jane austen adaption on the television there's humor in it no, <laughs> okay,
0: wait. this one scene this one scene for me is it's like it comes from a different movie it is so hilarious. It is so funny. And it's just kind of like... And, it's, and the fact that even the way Jane Seymour sort of rushes over to her and immediately just kind of like puts something like... And you might hear her just sort of like go, Oh, good Lord, <laughs> <In> the <background. laughs>
3: Slams the, the, the piano down. She
0: slams the piano down. It's so, yeah, I just thought, I just thought, hey, if we're going to talk about Jane Austen, it is an excuse to play that. I may
2: actually seek that
0: film out. It's yeah. on DVD. Hmm. Yeah, you, you I have can, seen it. Yeah, it's, it's, it is... That is, trust me, man, that's the best scene in the film. That and the sequence at the end. Mm. The sequence at the end where they, I will play you what happens at the sequence at the end where they essentially have them doing a music video to a hip-hop song, but all of them are in Jane Austen. attire. It right. is hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, so uh, Pride and Prejudice in nineteen. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
3: well, I chose that one because it's the same year as Pinocchio.: Oh, yeah, so it does link in with our earlier film choices.:
2: Best era. And Ooh. actually,
3: you uh, we do struggle. I know, I didn't think of Austin land actually. I could have chosen that one as our link, because there aren't that many film adaptions of Jane Austen's works. Most of the good adaptions are. From TV. television, because it obviously has takes the time to unfold the story over hours and hours, where to condense it into two hours slot is just almost impossible. Which is why I think I can't really I couldn't name any other film adaptations that I thought weren't completely awful. Because <laughs> there is the the, the more recent Kira Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. which I absolutely hated. Mm. And I I saw it I, I saw it actually three times because I couldn't believe that I'd actually hate a, J, a Jane <laughs> Austen adaptation. Mm. So the first time I came away thinking. That was so awful and <laughs> I, I convinced myself that maybe i was just being unkind because i don't like Nightly knightley if only
2: oh, the studios are all thinking if only you hated every film think yeah. how much money they'd make a new way it. to make money make yeah. terrible films but
3: so, I, I saw it again thinking it can't have been as bad as i thought i, was, I sat there thinking i hate this film <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't wrong
3: and then i did again i caught myself thinking it can't have been that bad you're just exaggerating it so i watched it again on dvd
0: yeah i hated it yeah. <laughs> still still <laughs> <laughs> it is consistently bad over the years yeah.
3: okay. but some people love it I think it's the best version of Pride and Prejudice. it's got there. a really
2: nice soundtrack I like, I like the score to it That's but I didn't like ago. it at
0: all <laughs>
3: So going to the 1940 version, again, it's not a perfect film because I don't think it lent, Jane Austen lends herself to t- screen as such because, yeah, you need to take the time to tell the story properly. But this one, I think Lawrence Olivier sort of captures the right amount of the pride and the prejudice, but that, that those hidden depths are in there in his performance. He's and, good at that. Yeah, I just think I like him as Mr. Darcy. Some of the other actors don't quite fit. They're not. The, they're not the <laughs> characters from the books. But it has a lightness of touch, which is you want in a Jane Austen adaptation. Cool. And yeah, it, for its time, you know, set filmed in nineteen forty. So the world around them was going mad. It was a nice. I think it's probably something that they wanted to do to show that the world there is civilization out there, and you know we will carry on.
0: <laughs> right. It's a bit like how um, Downton Abbey is so popular nowadays, when everything is going crazy out there.
3: Yeah. You sometimes you want that some that piece of fantasy, that piece of romantic. Maybe the world didn't ever exist the way we visualize it. And you think it probably the tough was hard. Life was hard. Yeah, in, but for those yeah. two hours, it. But for those two hours, it, it gave right. away, and yeah. even though the, the the film may not be historically <clears> accurate. <throat> Who cares? It's just that piece of just soft fantasy that you can sink into. And so it was, yes, it's a good choice to see a screen version that I didn't absolutely loathe. (laughs) (laughs) Three times. (laughs) (laughs)
0: On that note. (laughs) Thank you, Sharon. (laughs) Joe, can you give us the the final clue? Okie dokie. This screen legend
2: was one of only four male actors to be posthumously nominated for an Oscar as the Best Leading Actor.
0: I know who it is. You said you knew who it was before. Sharon, how do you oh, Sharon, how you feel?
3: I think I've got an answer, but I... Yes, I've, I think I've got an answer.
0: Okay. Shall we, shall we give answers on three? Okay. Okay. One, two, three. James, James Dean. Dean. Oh, dear.
2: Well, um... James
0: Dean. Hey! James Dean, still being referenced in songs by Taylor Swift.
2: And
3: uh,
2: is it Lana Del Rey that I I listened to the day that was singing about him as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. I tend not to listen to Lana Del Rey. I went through my James Dean phase. I had a James
3: Dean poster on my wall.
0: Yeah? Did he have a gun in his hand by any chance?
3: No, it was in one of his leather-jacketed roles, you know, where he sort of just sits. and Yes, that sort of... Uh, giant type look. Uh, but yeah no I have the seen. rubber without cause and all those posters on my wall.
0: Hang on, someone's calling us again. I just want to see who it is. This is the
3: SF- I- No,
0: no. <laughs> It's BT again. Yes, sure. it's BT. BT trying to send us texts. <laughs> they got it wrong
2: and they're complaining.
0: <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. BT listens to us. Yeah. All right, cool. Now, thank you very much for being on the show today, well, for joining me in the studio. A the of chills, good fun. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always, we pray you all get better. Hope you get home soon. And remember that they do not make them as they used to. I will leave you now. We shall play ourselves out with... What happens at the end of the movie Austin Land, which is a full-blown version of the song Hot in Here by Nelly, but done but while you're listening to this, imagine a whole bunch of people in Jane Austen's novels dancing along to it and laugh yourself silly. Oh